This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Something Rhymes With Purple. It's a podcast where my friend Susie Dent and I meet once a week and we talk about words and language, particularly the origin of words, where they come from. And the other day on one of our shows, it was the one about video games, we called it Pocket Monster, I challenged Susie to unearth the origin of the word digs, meaning places where you stay. Actors talk about their digs. Students talk about their digs. And, well, uh, I didn't really know what the origin was, but I have a, a friend, a very distinguished actor called Peter Bowles. And he told me that he had come across, in the writings of James Boswell, the Scottish, the young Scottish writer and admirer of Dr. Johnson, who indeed made Dr. Johnson famous by writing about Dr. Johnson, pioneer lexicographer, he had come across a character called Diggins, who had a list of places where you could stay if you were an actor. It was known as Diggins's List. And he maintained that Diggs becomes, is because Diggins had a list of places where you would say, have you seen Diggins's List? Well, what do you think? What do you make of that, Susie? I, I asked you if you could inquire further. Have you inquired further? What do you think is the origin of Diggs? I have, and I'm Afraid to say that I haven't really budged from my etymological viewpoint, which is that it's short for diggings, which was an older word for the same idea. And actually to be in digs usually was to live in a room with shared kind of facilities and, as you say, typically lodging for students, um, etc. Um, but diggings goes back to the 16th century, often associated with Australia because digger, as in hello digger, actually does come from the idea of the gold fields of, um, of Australia. But actually, early instances of diggings and later digs are all American. And it does seem to go back to the gold fields uh, where the first prospectors would come to an unpopulated area, obviously, and they had to make shift as best they could, um, quickly build a shelter, um, often dig them into the ground. And eventually more accommodation was dug in t together with, you know, taverns, etc., to cater for them. So all the evidence points away from a Mr. Diggings, not saying Diggins, rather, not saying he didn't exist, but I suspect that one and one had been put together to make three in this instance. But I have to say, I do love Peter Bowles, as you will remember, because I tweeted this. I absolutely loved his story about, in your oh. book of theatrical anecdotes, of his um, preparation, I think, uh, with Albert Finney, the, the absolutely brilliant Albert Finney, for, um, was it, it was Macbeth, wasn't it? How he would play Macbeth. Yes. Yeah. Am I allowed to tell this story? You quickly? can cross it. I can I've, just it. Found, I've just found this extract that I, I tweeted and it's absolutely brilliant. So this is from Peter Bowles going completely off topic. Confidence is almost 80% of what is needed for star quality. My teacher was Albert Finney. One night in our room, we were discussing what part we would most like to play. We both had the same ambition that when we left RADA and became professional actors, we would play Macbeth. <laughs> 
Albert asked me how I would approach the part. I went on about Scottish history, the possibility of playing it with a Scottish accent, probably in a kilt, and of course I would really study all the great scholars, including Granville Barker. How would you approach it, Albert? I asked. I'd learn the fucking lines and walk on, said Albert. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so it's brilliant. brilliant. That's well, why I love Peter Bowles. So honestly, anything he says usually goes. But in this case, not sure it's completely right. Well, I will go around to his house because he lives near me in Barnes in southwest London. And I shall see if he can dig out his copy of James Boswell and see what actually was said. Because I think you may be right. This sounds like one of those stories that added for another story and made a... You know, well, as you say, one plus one makes three. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, there was another word I discovered the origin of this week. Without your assistance, oh, yeah. I've, I've been away filming. And uh, the, what I've been filming is a television series to be shown in the UK, where I and a friend of mine, another actress, uh, the great Dame Sheila Hancock, uh, go on canal journeys together. And uh, we were on a canal, the, the Leeds to Liverpool Canal this week, and we passed a statue of a navvy. And these canals were built by people known as navvies. And I knew the word navvy. I knew that it meant a labourer or somebody who worked really hard, a navvy. I didn't know the origin. Do you? I mean, No, instantly? I, that's really interesting. I'm not sure I do know exactly the history of it. Short for navigator? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That is completely correct. They were creating the navigation, the navigating the canals, uh, which are known as navigations. So we were on a bit of, I think it was known as the Lee Navigation, part of the Leeds to Liverpool Canal, and it was abbreviated to Navi. People who were navigators were known as navvies. They created the navigation. But it's interesting, over the years, it's become almost pejorative, as though you're a sort of uh, a rather, well, they were, I think, rough, tough characters to build these things. But isn't it interesting? We, we, we take so many words for granted. I know. I was thinking about that, too. I was thinking of um, clippings the, this week because, um, you know, we kind of forget. And in fact, we might talk about this in this episode. We forget what van, for example, any any van on the road, we forget what that's short for and what a history that word has has had. I discovered this week that the word Butch, used in many, many different ways, um, but with the sort of underpinning idea, underpinned idea of masculinity, that that's short for butcher's knife. Ooh. And actually a butcher's knife or a hunting knife was thought to be kind of, you know, tough and mm. um, sturdy and, and quite masculine. I had no idea about I it. had no idea. So if you've got a butch look, it's because butcher's knife, like hunter's knife, implies something virile, masculine, potent. Yeah. Well, wh while we were going along the canals, on the banks of the canal, we saw some interesting things. People on holiday, either in uh, holiday homes, which we I want to talk about, or in tents. Mm. And that made me think we talked about talking about camping. We did. It's a good theme to talk about, particularly in this lockdown world, because I read somewhere that last year, with the lockdown here in the UK, one of our retailers who sells camping equipment, I think it was John Lewis, they saw their camping equipment sales increase by 58% compared with the year before. So, I mean, that's amazing. It is. And a lot of people were actually making tents indoors, weren't they? They were, they were putting them up indoors and having sort of little secret getaways with their kids. Or not secret, but just sort of... You that's know, rather fun, isn't trying, it? Yeah, just trying to... Put the tent up at home. At least you won't get rained on. Tent sales went up 34%. Sales of fire pits tripled. Yes, I bought and my parents a fire pit. Really? What's, um, a, what's a fire pit? fire pit is just something that you can light outside because, let's face it, summer 
evenings in Britain aren't always the warmest and you could just burn fuel in there and keep yourselves warm. So this episode is Carry On Camping, which is the title of a very popular British movie of many years ago in the Carry On series, where the Carry On cast went out camping. Now, can we begin with the word camping? Is that a British word? Do they do camping all over the English-speaking world. What is the origin of camping? Well, it's got a very... Uh, it comes from a very illustrious family, I would say, camping, because it is linked to champions. It is linked to a university campus. It's linked to champignons, which are mushrooms in French, and it's linked to champagne, because it all goes back to campus, which was an open field in Roman times, the Campus Marcius, famously where the Roman soldiers would practice and prepare for battle. So the idea of a kind of open space gave us the university campus. Um, it gave us champignon because champignon mushrooms grow in open spaces. It gave us champion because of those battle strategies and preparations that the Roman soldiers do. And it gave us champagne because, again, you know, champagne is a sort of large open area of French country side and um, the idea of a camp then in the camping sense that we're talking about today is that you are basically setting up a place to do whatever you want to do so it goes from the idea of going to an open field a level space and setting up what whatever was that it is you want to the, set up the there. roman the latin that you mentioned rather than a campus what campus martius martius m-a-r-t-i-u-s as in mars the god of Exactly. War and martial and everything to do, things that were military. So the Campus Martius is the origin of this. So that yes. everything, everything flows from that. But this is making me think when I next go camping in my fire pit, I'm going to be cooking a mushroom omelette and yes. washing it down with champagne. That would be Perfect. appropriate, wouldn't it? It would be totally appropriate. So a variation of that is the word glamping. Yeah, which is a uh, glamping is simply glamorous camping. So that's taking oh. rugs, probably beds, duvets, uh, you name it with you. I, how are you with camping? I, I don't know whether I see you as the camping type. I'm not very good at camping. I've done it in my time. I, I, I like the idea of it. I'm amused by the idea of a tent and climbing inside it. But uh, to be honest, I need softness underneath me. You know, you lie down on the ground and you find you're on a slight slope and the head is going down. No, nah, it's not for me. And the guy ropes and putting it... Well, we're going to talk about why they're called guy ropes and why a tent's called a tent. Are you a camper? I mean, have you been camping? Uh, I would never have said that I was a camper because, you know me, Jess, I'm always cold. I'm very, very sensitive to cold, which is very annoying um so that's for me it's like my biggest dread is being cold and wet and not being able to do anything about it but of course you can take your hot water bottle you can go and fill it from the communal area in your campsite i actually went camping during lockdown uh when we were allowed to go camping and um and it was brilliant i really really loved it despite the fact that we were right on the edge of a main road <laughs> it wasn't so good but it was fun it's the communal areas that get me down. When the children were small, we did do a few holidays that involved camping. We, the grown-ups, were in a caravan and the kids were under canvas. And the upside was that on at the holiday camp, this was in France, there was a very nice restaurant. Well, it was I call it a restaurant, it was more of a canteen, but the food was very good. The downside were the communal showers mm -hmm. and the shared lavatories. Yes, I know what you mean. Which those were, are never pleasant. They were the, uh, yeah. the traditional. It was not that many years ago, but it was the traditional French style. Uh, de, um, you know, I mean, literally a hole, hole in the ground and rather sinister sort of footpads on which you were supposed to stand. No, 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 no. 
Thank you very, very much. I know what you mean. In those lieux d'aisance that you have on the on the French motorway and then you go and find a hole. Yeah. So yeah, give us I, some I'm of those, with you on that. Give, tell us about some of the words. What about we, basics? We start with a tent. Okay. Tent, again, Latin. So the Romans gave us so much of our camping vocabulary. Tenta was something um, stretched out. So um, this was something stretched over a framework. And do you remember me telling you about the beautiful image that lies behind pavilion? Uh, Pavilion goes back to the French papillon, a butterfly, because a pavilion, which is a much grander tent, let's face it, looks like the wings of a butterfly stretched mm. over a framework. So I love that. Um, but yes, tent came to us from the Latin. Vaguely um, linked, I think, to the tenta that gave us tenta hooks. Ooh. It's very interesting. I'm seeing a lot of people saying on tender hooks now or hearing them say on tender hooks. It's definitely on tenta hooks. And tenta was basically a framework on which you would dry wool and cloth And it would be stretched very, very tightly attached by hooks on these frames. So I think there is an ancient relationship there. But um, in its basic level, it goes back to Latin. Very good. What about the caravan I was in? What's the origin of that? Yeah, so I was talking about vans earlier. So if you see, um, you know, white van on the street, it actually has a very exotic past because it goes back to a Persian word, caravan, which was a kind of group of people that were travelling over vast areas in order to to get to their destination. So it was a whole sort of procession, really, before it was then applied to uh, individual vehicles. Of course, like, a, like a caravan of, of camels, I can picture it, crossing exactly. the desert. Um, so it, so wasn't one ve- it, was, it wasn't one vehicle at all originally. It was a a group of people and animals. It was a group of people travelling, particularly I think in North Africa um, and Asia. And then from there, as I say, it was applied to a specific vehicle, in this case probably a horse-drawn wagon. And then I think it slipped into railway usage where it was a third-class carriage, um, interestingly. Uh, And then, of course, became the, uh, the caravans that people go on holiday with now or the vans that you will find everywhere. Have I seen you since I was last in Yorkshire? Um, I'm not sure you're everywhere, here, there and everywhere. The I'm moment. here, there and everywhere. Earlier this week, I think I was in Yorkshire. No, a week ago, I was in Bridlington, which is one of my favourite parts of Yorkshire. I love Bridlington. I love the East Riding yes. and on the coast there. It's magnificent. And I was saying, you know, we know that Yorkshire is God's own country. And the fellow I was with said to me, and you, you know, the East Riding is the only part of Yorkshire to be mentioned in the Bible. I said, really? He said, yes. It's mentioned. I said, I'm sure it isn't. East Riding, can't it? And he said, yes, it's, it's, it's all about the caravan. This is what links to this. I said, the caravan? East Riding? In, yes, he said. The caravan of three wise men came from the East riding their camels. Get it? Oh. East riding. <laughs> I get it. I get I, it. Well, actually, do you remember where riding does come from on the Yorkshire sense? I think do I do, because is it a third? Is yes. it come from threading? Meaning, because people say there's an east riding, there's a north riding, and there's a west riding. Why isn't there a south riding? Because there are only three of them. And Yes, it's from the Vikings, absolutely. So it's from Old Norse, and it meant the third part, and it was um, thrithing in Old English. And then the TH was lost because we were putting est or east or west or north in front of it. So it kind of got slightly swallowed. But, yeah, that's where that comes from. So we have our tent, and we have next to it our caravan. We know about that. The tent is put up with guy ropes. Was guy a character, an individual uh, no. who invented well, it? Guy as in, hey guys, um, I, I always find this extraordinary, but that goes back to Guy Fawkes, 
Guido Fawkes, believe it or not. No. Um, so, yes, it was began with Guy Fawkes, then it moved to the effigy of Guy Fawkes, so a figure. Um, and then well, should we explain to international people who Guy Fawkes was? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, do you want to do it or shall I do it? You do it. Okay, so Guy Fawkes famously was involved in something called the Gunpowder Plot, which was on the 5th of November, 16... 16- I'd say that's the date, yeah. Okay, and uh, we commemorate that. Oh, oh, and basically, sorry, he wanted to... um, My history is going to get very sketchy here, but he wanted to blow up the Houses of Parliament with a number of conspirators. And he was discovered and he was hanged uh, eventually for his part in the plot. And every... 5th of November we have in uh, in Britain what is called bonfire night and we let out fireworks, we light bonfires etc. And we all used to burn an effigy of Guy Fawkes himself yes. didn't we? So from this effigy came the idea of a sort of generic human being if you like which is why today it can mean you guys can be multi-gendered doesn't, doesn't have to just be male. But it began with Guy Fawkes. It began with Guy Fawkes which Guy is Guy really Fawkes is the original guy, how amazing. I know, but the guy rope on a tent is completely unconnected. That probably is linked either to a guide, which we think is probably more likely, or to a German word, I think, which is um, means kind of almost like sort of braille. So it's, again, it's the idea of sort of being tethered in some way or, or having sort of kind of ropes attached, I suppose. So I'm not talking about braille as in um, uh, Louis braille, but braille as in the small ropes that you'll find on a ship. I've never heard of that word. Okay. I've, I've heard of Braille as in capital B, R-A-I-L-L-E, yes. that special way of in writing that you can read if you are visually impaired. Yes. But it's, it's kind this of, is another word. Patterns of raised dots, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, this is Braille with one L, not an eponym. Um, it goes back to the Latin, I think, for girdle. So it's the idea of kind of attached, being attached to a structure or, or holding something in place. So that's where guy, guy ropes come from. They're always the bane of my life whenever I'm trying set up a tent i like the pop-up ones best oh so so do i yes they're much easier Um, i I went to the doctor once you know to complain that one moment i felt i was a wigwam and the next moment i felt i was a teepee and the doctor said to me yeah you're two tents tents. (laughs) i'm sorry i i I like a juvenile joke um do you have you are a mummy do you have a mummy sleeping bag no, I have a I have a um, very generic but very warm sleeping bag, and that I get so cold. But the mummy sleeping bag, I can only imagine, is because it looks like there's a mummy, uh, sort of lying encased, embalmed within it when you're when you're actually lying within. Oh, um, I thought it was a sort of cosy thing to make you feel warm and cosy, as uh, well, you were wrapped nice up idea. with your mummy. That's a nice idea, but no, I think it actually they look the shape as well makes it look like it's a sort of outline of a of a mummy's tomb, which well, is a, sleeping, a bit strange. Obviously, a sleeping bag is simply a bag in which you sleep, so that's yeah. quite straightforward. What about a rucksack? Rucksack is from German, so Rücken in German is your back, and a Zuck is your bag, so it's a bag for your back, simply. Very good. Um, yeah, which is, is very simple. Can we do canopy, by the way? Oh, yes. Which I love. Going back to the beautiful canopy of trees above you or the canopy that's provided by your tent. Do you remember? I think I told you this one because it's linked to the canapes that you might have at a posh drinks party. So it goes back to the Greek conops, meaning a mosquito. So it was originally a mosquito net and uh, then applied to all, all sorts of kind of coverings. And the canopy goes back to the idea that there is often a bed 
below the mosquito net and canapes look like little beds or little sofas with little ingredients put on top. Gosh. And that's well, strange, isn't it? I, I love it. While, while we're on those the, the structures, yeah. give me the origin of gazebo because I, I know oh, yeah. that it has a curious etymology. Whenever we coin a new word, um, there's quite a temptation to make it sound like Latin or Greek because it gives it an air of authority. So that's why in medical circles, for example, because of the great history of classical vocabulary informing medicine or describing medicine, um, whenever there's a new word coined, people tend to give it a Latin or Greek name. And um, with gazebo, it was a bit more humorous, I think, because it was modelled on the pattern of lavabo, which is somewhere where you go to wash. So it used the A-B-O suffix in Latin, and it simply means I shall gaze. So lavabo is I shall wash, and gazebo, it should really be gazebo, is I shall gaze. Um, so it's the idea of I shall look at this in wonder because it's such a beautiful thing. And, you know, if you heard of a belvedere... I've heard of that word, but I feel a belvedere. You're outside your stately home and it's yes. a, a kind of lawn on which you stand looking out over the estate. The belvedere. Yes, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a bit like a folly almost, isn't it? It's a summer house. Oh, um, oh but a belvedere is a building. Sorry, I thought it yes. was a green well, space. It can be a gallery as well. It's usually at rooftop level and you have a really fantastic view. The reason I mention it is that goes back to um, the idea of a beautiful bel vedere, meaning to see. So this is beautiful to look at. And I think that's the idea of a gazebo is that I shall gaze either out from the gazebo or at this beautiful structure itself. In a moment, we're going to have some snacks, I hope, a little something around the campfire. But should we take a break first? OK, I'll go get my marshmallows. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it, been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now, I could tell you why you should be listening to my show, but my listeners wanted to write the ad for me, and here are some of the things they said. Not your regular Juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you'll instantly be obsessed with, a juicy crime story, and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments, and you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down. This is Giles Brandreth and Susie Dent. We're carrying on camping this week. The words, the language, that when we go out and live under canvas... Actually, what's the origin of canvas? Because are tents always made of canvas? Probably not anymore, but they used to be in the old days. Yeah, yeah. Canvas goes back to um, a Latin word meaning hemp, actually. So it's the idea of what it was um, made of, but it's linked to cannabis because of it. So it's a sibling of cannabis, which also means hemp. Oh. Well, whenever I go camping, the weather is always appalling. And I have done it quite a lot. And I'm, uh, the one thing I have to take with me are my thermals. Yes. Um, okay. Is thermal an interesting so word? Oh, well, I suppose it comes from therm. Yes. Heat, Greek. Yeah. yeah. Nothing. Not, it's, they're kind of heat preservers. So I have my thermals in my nether regions and I have my gilet, my mm-hmm. little zip-up gilet. That's a French word, I assume. 
That is a French word, though ultimately it goes back. It's a bit like, I don't know, these have such exotic origins, like cagoul and that kind of thing. It goes back to the Arabic for a waistcoat or a vest, actually worn by slaves in Algeria. So quite a sort of dark, exotic past, I suppose. Very good. Cagoul, uh, is that an interesting source of that? You mentioned it. Oh yeah, I just I just think that quite often we don't um, we don't realise that you know these things that we see as being ultimately quite sort of plain and practical and functional actually have nice origins. So that's I think um, from quite a long time ago, and it's French for a cowl, a sort of cowl neck, uh-huh. which one day I will tell you is linked to the cappuccino coffee that you meet like in the morning. But we don't have time for that now. Okay. Well, what I'm going to be doing, I, I wouldn't mind a coffee, though I don't drink coffee anymore. But I'm going to have something. Uh, by the fire. Uh, what about camping food? What will I have there? Toasted marshmallows? Um, um, yeah, sausages. We'll have vegetarian sausages, you and I. Yeah. So sausage, if you remember, goes back to the Latin for salted meat. So it's related to salad, which was salted vegetables. goes back to salary because of Roman allowances in the military of salt. So sausages will be there. What else should we have? Um, well, I want a noggin of some kind. Oh, noggin, yes. Oh, you have to tell me, this is not our Christmas episode, but do you like eggnog? I never did. And it's got alcohol in it, isn't it? It's got alcohol in it. and It's, it's rather the, sweet. It's just the egg bit. Just it's a sort of yellow drink that people... People drink extraordinary things at Christmas, don't they? They do. Well, the reason I mention it is because the noggin, as in the small quantity of alcohol that you might have around the campfire is linked to eggnog because Ah. one theory is that eggnog is a drink that yes it's sweet also fairly strong perhaps and might go straight to your noggin which also used to mean a person's head ah yeah is the noggin now the drink or is it the actual mug um, yeah, it can be a small drinking cup, you're right, but it can also be a small quantity of drink. So Did you see, you speaking of small drinking cups, uh, one of our, we know we have this merch, or something rhymes with purple oh, yes. merch. Did you see somebody tweeted the other day that they'd got uh, our mug, our little mug with the word bloviator on, mm-hmm. and they were thrilled with it. Oh, I was so pleased, they were loving it. Um, and they were, they, it, it had arrived. Oh, I like it. Uh, she's flashing her bloviator. Uh, listeners, um, what does bloviator mean? Are we, are, it says, are we, yes? bloviator, noun, someone who talks at great length on a subject they know very little about. Yeah, I better shut up then. Have you got anything more to tell us about the world of camping before we get on oh. to our um, listeners' letters? Well, we mentioned marshmallow, which I just think is one of the most beautiful sounding words in the English language. It just kind of sounds soft and fluffy and bouncy to me. But have you ever had a s'more? A s'more? No, yes. what's a s'more? Okay, so s'mores are really lovely. They're basically, well, the ones that I've had anyway are usually chocolate-covered toasted marshmallows. But you can also, in the in the absolute authentic, genuine s'more, they are sandwiched between what they call graham crackers, in which graham is about graham, and named after Sylvester Graham, who was actually a bit, bit like Mr... Kellogg was a nutritionist or a dietitian. Um, I'm not sure he would have approved of of s'mores because they're incredibly sweet, but they're really lovely. And those came about in the um, 1920s, but they're really making a comeback. It's just that toasting the marshmallow over the fire, covering it in chocolate, and then maybe sandwiching it between two nice little crackers. Very good. There was a reminder this week, a story or the other day, of somebody being uh, killed by, was it a buffalo? 
a reminder that these big beasts can be quite frightening. And I do remember as a child going camping and we actually found ourselves in a field where during the night, or maybe it was as dawn broke, a cow's head poked itself through the flap at the entrance of the tent. Can you imagine how alarming that was? I would never be afraid of a single cow, but I have Ah. read quite scary stories of cows as a herd basically becoming quite belligerent only when they're sort of scared but i think if i had a lot of cows running towards me that would not be good one cow could cope it's also tricky sharing a tent many many years ago i was with a group of people who were we were theatricals and they were doing al fresco um theater Alfresco was not the name of the agent. They could have been, oh, yeah, my, my agent did all the open-air work. He was called Alfresco. <laughs> um, at me, it's, it's from... Not Mr Diggin. We, we've discussed that before, I know, in one of our other episodes. Um, in the fresh. Well, yeah. we were young troubadours, and we, we travelled around the country doing open-air Shakespeare. And I remember being in the next-door tent to this couple. Uh, we were sharing tents. And in the next-door tent was this this couple. And they were attached to other people. It was a boy and a girl. They may have been playing Romeo and Juliet. And you get yeah. quite intense on tour. Uh, literally, they were intense in the tent. And they decided at the beginning of the evening that they would have they were in their separate sleeping bags and they were head-to-toe, as it were, so that uh, his head was by her toes and vice versa. And then I couldn't get to sleep because they spent the whole night of discussing whether or not they should get into each other's sleeping bags. And they had oh. this terribly intense conversation. It went on for hours and hours with her saying, oh, go on, why don't we? You know, we're on, we're on tour. It doesn't really matter. You know, it's not as if we're married. It's, it's only, you know, we're just... And he was saying, well, actually, I'm engaged. I'm, well, not really, I'm sort of engaged. I don't know. Do you think we should? And it was completely gripping to listen to. But after about two hours of this, I had to put my head through the tent and say, <laughs> either just, get on with it, well do it or let us go to sleep. <laughs> And there was no reply of any kind. Silence They were probably fell. mortified. And I retreated mortified. to my tent and then I had to listen intently to see whether I could hear. And I think, I think I heard a very quiet unzipping. Oh. I don't know. You'll know who you are if I'm talking about you. It was many years ago. You will now be a person of riper years. If you want to share this story, uh, do get in touch with us. And um, no names, no pactrill. Um, What happens on tour stays on tour. But if you want to tell me how that night ended, I would love to know. And if you've got a story you want to share about your camping holidays, it's purple at somethingelse.com. Purple at somethingelse.com. And something is spelt without a G because we like to be a little bit different. Have people been in touch this week, Susie? Um, yes. Do you remember we talked uh, a while ago about um, someone who loves to give books away as opposed to a biblioclept, which was one of my trio ones, which is somebody who is constantly stealing other people's books. And after Paul Peterson from Minnesota suggested Bibliodor in reference to his wife, we've had some more come in. So uh. Will Wallace suggests a Frieda instead of a reader a frieda um adrian moore who's a brit um living in washington dc likes bibliosocialite um jill pearson thinks that someone who sets books free that's a lovely word of, uh, way of putting it could be a libertarian oh i like nice. the libertarian that's very yes it's ever libertarian and mark newman from west wexford in ireland goes down a slightly different route with this email he says well known for her philanthropic gestures including giving away millions of children's books i propose that the word should honor dolly the great dolly parton and the act of giving away books all to be known as 
patronage instead of patronage. I love that. That is brilliant. You know, I love to name drop. And yes. I, have, I have met Dolly Parton. Oh, well, she's brilliant. She is both brilliant. I met her to talk about this scheme that she has, literally, okay. of you know encouraging literacy and reading and giving away books, this wonderful example of partonage. But she is tiny. She yeah. is really, really tiny. I mean, I know she's famous for being, as it were, uh, wonderfully proportioned, and people, and she loves that, and she makes the most of it. But she's a very petite person. You know, she's not tall at all. Really, complete surprise. Yeah, I've always imagined her as being very petite. There are a lot of small film stars, you know, and they often have big heads. Tom Cruise is quite small from the neck yeah. down, but quite a yeah. large head, big head, small body, and often huge lips, huge lips. I wondered where you were going there. Uh, okay. But let's not talk about Julia Roberts now. Who, who else has been in touch? OK, Caroline Costa-Leng has written in to say that our show has helped her walk many, many Ks while working in Melbourne um, during lockdown. So thanks for that, right. Caroline. Her daughter said to her the other night, I know what cream of the crop means, but can you tell me why it's crop? What does a crop have to do with cream? Um, uh, they couldn't find the answer and thought that we might know. Well, the crop is simply uh, a crop that you might harvest in the field. So that one's not surprising there. And cream is simply used here figuratively to mean the top or the best of something, because obviously cream rises to the top when milk is left to stand. So it came to be used figuratively to mean the, the, the top or the very best. So you might say they're the cream of society, for example, and the cream of the crop simply means the very best of that yield. That that's the idea. Well, thank you. Thank you, Caroline Costa-Leng. Melbourne, Australia. How wonderful. Uh, they're, they're all locked up in, in Australia, you know, locked yeah, up for I years. Know. Hopefully, but, hopefully but that will go soon. But we're here anyway. We're, we're, we're here, here, here for to you. Keep listening keep to us. Company. We care. Uh, Susan. Oh, look, that's amusing. I was talking. I, I was talking. We had Costa mentioned there, Caroline Costa-Leng. And here is someone called Susan Coop. Or could it be co-op? She, uh, she named after the co-op. Um, no, I think Coop. Coop is her name. I think Coop. What is Susan um, Coop writing to us about? Uh, she uh, was walking in North Yorkshire near the beautiful Harrogate and came across a spring with Adam's Ale engraved into a nearby rock. And her husband from West Yorkshire had never heard of it. But um, Susan is from Mid the Midlands and knew that it meant water, but they were both puzzled about where it comes from. Um, it has indeed meant water for quite a long time since the 17th century and the idea is simply a reference to the Adam, the first man of Adam and Eve um, and so water is taken to be a drink of natural simplicity and so appropriate to the first at that point untarnished pure first man that's the idea and um, I looked this up in the Oxford English Dictionary there's a quote from a 17th century lawyer that speaks of poor prisoners that have been shut up in dungeons allowed only a poor pittance of Adam's ale and scarce a penny bread a day to support their lives so a bit miserable well thank you for being in touch wherever you are in the world and whatever your name is I love unusual names and I think Susan Coop it's a glorious name now it's time Susie Dent for your trio of words interesting genuine words that you feel deserve greater currency. What have you got for us this week? OK, well, I'm going to be sort of merry-go-sorry with these. I love merry-go-sorry, if you remember. This is not one of my trio, but it means the sort of merry-go-round of life, which occasionally brings sorrow and then happiness and then sorrow. And it's all very, very circular. So the first one is more in sorrow and it's the verb to gowl. 
So written like howl, only with a G at the front. And it means to weep more in anger or frustration than sorrow. Mm. To gowl. The next one is something that we all might do in the shower. First thing, for example, I just I just think it's really nice and it's very pithy. To glad warble, glad warble hyphenated is to sing joyfully. Oh, I love that. To glad warble. Well, it makes good. it clear what it is. To glad yes. warble, you're warbling gladly. Exactly. Uh, and then the third one is, um, I, th- I think I might have talked about a snurt before now, but this is to snurtle, S-N. I-R-T-L-E, and it's to try to suppress your laughter, but without much success. It's got a little bit of a kind of snort in there, but it's a kind of, you know, very... <laughs> that kind of thing. Snurtle, I like it. A very useful word. It is. I've got a poem. If you're new to Something Rhymes With Purple, we have a sort of shape to our shows. We usually pick a theme, and we always have a trio of interesting words from Susie, and I often try to choose a poem that's appropriate to whatever we've been discussing. And for me, one of the blights of going camping are the midges. The insects, the midges, the creepy crawlies. I'm not good at any of those things. You obviously can cope with a cow poking its face through your into your tent. What I can't cope with, apart from the cow, is creepy crawlies, flies of any kind. But sometimes they are beautiful and fascinating and There's a poem, a summer poem, written by the great Thomas Hardy that actually describes his encounter with a, I think it was a daddy long legs and a moth and a Dumbledore. Do you know what a Dumbledore is? Yeah, it's not worth a bumblebee. Yeah. I mean, Mm. it's, of course, a character now famously in uh, J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter stories. because she said that she liked to imagine Dumbledore walking around and humming to himself quietly. Ah. Nice idea. Well, I think there are four insects in this poem, as well as the poet Thomas Hardy. And the poem actually begins indoors, but you could picture it maybe out of doors, around the, the campfire with a, a lamp lit late at night. A shaded lamp and a waving blind, and the beat of a clock from a distant floor. On this scene enter, winged, horned and spined, a long legs a moth and a Dumbledore, while mid my page there idly stands a sleepy fly that rubs its hands. Thus meet we five in this still place, at this point of time, at this point in space. My guests besmear my new penned line, or bang at the lamp and fall supine, God's humblest they, I muse. Yet why? They know earth secrets that know not I. Hmm. Well, and how true is that? Oh, he's so brilliant, Thomas yeah. Hardy. Completely yeah. gripping character. Anyway, more poetry, more wonderful words from Susie Dent when you next join us. We've got a hundred and more episodes that you can catch up on, so please dip into our grab bag of delights from yesteryear, but uh, stick with us, purple people. We love you. We're grateful to you. 
We do. And I should just say that for um, those listeners of um, acute hearing, you'll probably hear the backdrop to this entire episode has been just sort of the drip, 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 drip of rain outside. Very appropriate to camping. Um, but here in, in um, Britain, in Blighty, it is absolutely chucking it down, at least in my neck of the woods. I thought and, it was um, your tummy rumbling. I no, thought she's got the collie patter of rain. <laughs> no. Um, but even if you did hear that, um, I hope you still enjoyed it. And we hope that you will join us again. Something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else production produced by Lawrence Bassett and Harriet Wells with additional production from Steve Ackerman, Ella McLeod, Jay Beale, Josh, who has joined us today for the first time. Thank you, Josh. And, well, I don't know where he is, but frankly, you know, we just keep him on the credits until he comes back. It's, you know, who? Gully. He's away with the Dumbledores. <laughs>